0: Right. good morning, New City. How are we doing today? Good. Well, Dave, thank you so much for that prayer. Thank you for praying for the school year that it's about to start and for just pointing us to the cross time and time again in your prayer. So thank you for that. Um, So my name is Heath, and I am a pastor in Kissimmee. We're planting a church named Kissimmee Fellowship. And so if you think of us, this next month, is going to be pretty big in the life of our church. We're beginning corporate worship in September, so if you think of us throughout this week or the upcoming weeks over this, yeah, over the month of August, please, please, please lift lift us in prayer. So this is a big, big and exciting time for our church, and so uh, well, this morning we are looking at a text in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 18, we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 27. And so if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, feel free to open there. And let me read God's word for us this morning. So Luke 18, beginning in verse 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he, the ruler, said, all of these I have kept for my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Now, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Let me pray for our time this morning. Well, Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you give us your word because you love us. You want to shape us, you want to transform us, you want to change us into your image so that we, we might reflect your character, your goodness, your truth, your holiness, your mercy, your justice out into the world. And so Jesus, tonight, or this morning rather, uh, might we be people who receive from you? Might, might we be people who, who give thanksgiving for you? Might we, might we be people who find rest in you? And so, Jesus, teach us this morning how to receive the good gifts that you want to give your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, one of the beauties of looking at the gospel accounts is that you constantly see these encounters that Jesus has with groups or with individuals. And you look at these texts and you see the different questions or assumptions that groups or individuals bring to Jesus. And so this morning, we're looking at this text. And what we see here in this text is a question that is still being asked today by people we might know. It might be a question that you yourself at one point have asked But it's the same question that this ruler asked. That same question is still being asked today. It's like this 2,000-year-old question. And it shouldn't surprise us that we see Jesus' response. Jesus' response then is still the same response he has for us today. So we see this question that's been asked for 2,000 years. And then we see Jesus having this same response. And so uh, we're going to just look at, we're going to ask these, the questions of the text, well, what is the question being asked? And then what is Jesus's response? We're just going to keep it really simple. And we see this dialogue happening here between this ruler and Jesus. And so we begin with the ruler. Like, who is the ruler? What's his story? And if you've, you know, read this text before, most likely that this, this ruler is an elder of a synagogue. And, you know, he's, he's an elder, which means, and in some of the other gospel accounts, they talk about how he's young. And so we have this, this elder, this, this young man that has wealth, that has power, that has influence, and he's coming and asking Jesus this question. Uh, One commentator says this of the elder, says, we all know someone like him, bright, prosperous, successful, gifted in leadership, well-meaning. He's the kind of man that you and I would be proud to have as a brother. He's the kind of man that you and I would be proud to have as a friend, as a son-in-law. And this elder, this ruler, he asks this honest question to Jesus. I mean, so often in the gospel accounts, anytime Jesus gets asked a question, I mean, I feel like half the time he's getting asked this question because the Pharisees and scribes are trying to corner him, are trying to trick him, that they're asking him this question with ulterior motives of trying to trip Jesus up, but not in this case. Not in this case, this young man, this elder asks honestly, and it's this question again that's still being asked today. He asks, well, what do I do to inherit eternal life? What do I do, Jesus? Tell me, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And you see, we as we read on in this passage, that there's this, question that exists that's beneath the question. A question beneath the question, and that is this. Am I a good enough person? That's the question beneath the question here in this text. Am I a good enough person? Because deep down inside, there are people in our lives, maybe this is your story too, but if not, there are people in our lives that are today asking that same question. They're wondering the question of, well, what happens after I die? If an an afterlife does exist, how do I get there? Am I a good enough person? These questions are still being asked today by people that we might know. You might have asked yourself this question before. Am I a good enough person? Have I done enough? It's this 2,000-year-old question. Let's look at Jesus's reply. How does Jesus reply to this? In verse 19, Jesus says, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Here they are like why do you call me good in verse 19 this is jesus's reply and it might be a little confusing at first when i was studying this week i was like well why what kind of question what kind of reply is that jesus like but often jesus i mean so often jesus's answer is a question to the person that asked him the question and so jesus says you know, uh, why do you call me good? And in verse 19, Jesus is inviting the ruler to reflect a little bit upon on what the ruler just asked. He's giving the ruler this invitation to, to be, well, Jesus, you know, Jesus says, well, why do you call me good? And who is good? And God alone is good. And if God alone is good, how are you to view yourself in light of who God is? And so it's like this, Jesus' reply in verse 19 might be a little confusing, but it's, he's inviting, he's giving space for the ruler to reflect on what he just asked Jesus. And then in verse 20, it's like Jesus gives the ruler just, you know, he says like, okay, well, have you thought about this young man? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about these commandments here? Have you kept them? It's like Jesus is giving this ruler, this young man, yet another chance to see his inadequacies. He's giving the young man yet another chance to see his inability to perfectly keep these commandments. In verse 21, the ruler replies and says, Well, all of these I have kept from my youth. I've kept all these commandments from my youth. Again, this rich young ruler is this respectable citizen. Maybe even perhaps, I don't know, this is speculation, but maybe even perhaps he's a little bit more put together than Jesus' disciples. I don't, I don't know, but, but this, this ruler is this respectable young man that has power, that has influence, that has authority, that has wealth. And what verse 21 teaches us, what it shows you and I, is that this man, he failed to understand how the Ten Commandments demand a purity of heart the ruler had this shallow understanding of God's commandments. I remember being in seminary and my professors would talk about the difference between the floor and the ceiling of the Ten Commandments. So for instance, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching about the commandments and he's saying, you have heard that it was said right he's pointing back to the commandments but then jesus says what but this i tell you you have heard that it was said but this i tell you so for instance in matthew chapter 5 when jesus is talking about you have heard that it was said you shall not murder that's that's like the baseline that's the floor and this ruler is saying well i didn't murder anybody so i'm good but then jesus says you have heard that it was said that you shall not murder but anyone who has anger in their heart over their brother is just as guilty the ceiling so Jesus is is kind of expanding these commandments in the gospels and teaching us that there is a bare minimum of not murdering but the commandments The commandments demand and desire a purity of our hearts that for you and I, it's not just enough for us to not murder. But when we have sinful anger in our heart over our brother or sister, we are guilty of breaking that commandment. We're guilty of breaking commandment number six. So it's the floor and it's the ceiling of the commandments. Uh, Jerem Barr's professor author, he says this on, on this text. He says, uh, we cannot claim to keep the Ten Commandments until we understood and perfectly obeyed the full measure of what the Ten Commandments require of us. And so this elder replies in verse 21, he says, you know, I've, I've kept all of those commandments since my youth, but it's this shallow understanding of the commandments. And so In verse 22, 23, this this conversation, this dialogue, this encounter, it continues when Jesus says this, when Jesus heard his reply in verse 21, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he, the ruler, heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. I mean, do you hear Jesus' reply to the man standing in front of him, asking the question, saying, I'm successful. I have wealth. Doesn't that make me good enough for salvation? I'm, my life is put together Look at how much I've accomplished in my career. Look at my 401k. Look at my savings. Look at all the people I influence and lead in the synagogue. Doesn't that make me good enough, Jesus? And so I just want to pause here. And I want us to be open to the possibility that you and I might have more in common with this young man than we'd like to think that we might have more in common with him than we like to think. It's like this elder is, is using money and wealth as a band-aid to just patch over the brokenness that exists in his life. It's like this elder is asking money and wealth to do something for him that, it was never, that money was never designed to do. It's like this elder is asking money to save him, to justify his existence on the earth. The elder is asking that of his retirement, of his 401k, of his wealth. And money was never designed to do that for you and I. Never. And so it's unfair and incorrect of us to ask money to do something that it was never designed to do. You know, there's a reason that Jesus talks about money more than any other topic, that money can have, it can just, it can play games with our heart. It can just have such a grip in our lives, on our heart, that it just becomes, it becomes our our God. It becomes The ultimate aim or purpose of our life. It becomes the reason that we lose sleep that keeps us up at night. It becomes the reason that we're excited and joyful and feel really good about our life and circumstances when our bank accounts look well. It's the reason that we feel despair when we might feel despair when financially things aren't going great you know, it can have such a grip on our hearts. I, I know what that's like to lose sleep over finances, to get in arguments with my wife over finances because I'm, I'm asking money to do something that it wasn't designed to do. I know what that's like. You see, money is such a barrier. And you know, Jesus is not speaking against making money. He's not. He's not speaking against making money, but against the priority that we place on money in our life. That's what he's speaking against, the priority that we place on money. And so we're all susceptible we're all we all need to be watchful of this. In verse 24, we pick up. It says, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, Well, how difficult is it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Then those who heard it said, Well, then who can be saved? but he said what is impossible with man is what is impossible with man is possible with god it's like this i think what's so striking is that the text tells us about the rich young ruler's inner life and it says that he was sad was extremely he's very sad and then jesus sees that sadness That's such a a detailed point that I think that it's good for us to slow down and to recognize the sadness in this man's life. The sadness that exists as as he's there in this encounter with Jesus, having this conversation saying, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus tells him what must be done. And the, the man just feels this sadness because he recognizes what sort of gap exists between where his heart is and where Jesus is inviting him to go with his desires. There's this gap that exists between where this man is with the priorities of his life in his heart and where Jesus is calling us to go with our priorities. That gap at times, friends, can feel so impossible to close. It can feel so insurmountable. How on earth do I change these priorities in my life? Because I recognize where I'm at and I don't want to stay there. And yet growth just feels impossible. How do I change How do I close this gap? And so, you know, you might be here today considering Christianity, asking this 2,000-year-old question of of what you do to inherit eternal life. And, you know, Jesus' response is it's the same today as it was then. Jesus is offering you grace. That with man it might be it is impossible, but with God it is possible that Jesus is offering you grace, so that gap between where you are and where you want to be might get closed, might get bridged, and you know if you 're here today and you've been a Christian for some time, you might be sitting there right now this morning thinking just that your priorities, your love, it's all misdirected. It's all bent out of shape. It's, it's, it's a mess. And if you're there feeling this, that your priorities are just all over the place and that, that money might be gripping your heart more than you want to admit, then Jesus' response to you is also one of grace. It's the same response for those that are considering Christianity and for those, that, those of us that have been Christians for some time. Jesus is offering you grace. Jesus, Jesus is offering you the same grace today that was being offered in this text in the first century. Because, you know, we don't begin the Christian life nor do we live the Christian life on our own merit, on our own performance. It just doesn't work like that. Nowhere does Jesus ask us to try to save ourselves. Nowhere, because he knows that we can't. So nowhere, it would be, it would be cruel of him to, to ask us to attempt to save ourselves knowing that we can't. In 2 Corinthians verse 8 and 9, you hear the Apostle Paul talking, and he says this. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that, that Paul is pointing our attention to that though Jesus was rich, yet for your sake and my sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, you and I might become rich. And so the same grace is being offered for for those of us that are considering Christianity, for those of us that have been Christians for some time. You know, we don't begin the Christian life by looking to our own goodness because it's not there. And we don't live the Christian life by continuing to tally up all the good deeds that we do as if saying, look, God, look at me. I'm this good Christian Don't I get to stay a Christian? That's not how it works. Friends, you and I, we receive the grace that Paul is talking about in this text. That though he was rich for our sake, he became poor. We receive that grace. That in the cross, that Jesus demonstrates what he has done for you and I. And by faith, we receive this grace. Jesus's record now becomes ours. And it's like when this good news of what Jesus did for you and I, when that sinks in, when that becomes central to our hearts, when our hearts forget it, but then we come back to it, friends, that transforms your life. That changes your heart. Jesus, thank you that you would do that for me. Jesus, thank you that what is impossible on my own effort is possible with you. Jesus, thank you for your generosity for me, for thinking of me as you shed your blood and broke your body on the cross for, for you and I. Thank you. So it produces in us this thanksgiving, this contentment with our, our wealth, with our finances. And when that contentment is there, then it's like we get to go do, we get to go live, we get to go follow the commands of Jesus from this place of gratitude, from this place of thankfulness. We don't then go live the Christian life in order to go just keep meriting our standing before God. No, we come back and we receive what has already been offered to us in the gospel. And it produces this thanksgiving that allows us to go and to live and to obey and to be generous, to love our neighbor, to be kind in our speech, to be generous with our money, to be um, thoughtful in how we use our time to serve others. So friends, this is this 2,000-year-old question that we see in this text. This, this young man is asking this question in the first century. And you know, some of us are asking that question here this morning. Some of us have maybe asked that question years ago in your story of coming to faith in Jesus. And Jesus' response then is the same response to us this morning. He invites us to receive from him. He invites us to look at the cross. He invites us into the power of the resurrection that's now made available to you and I to live the Christian life with power through the Spirit. So friends, let's pray. Well, Jesus, thank you for, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that in just in all the places of our heart, we have there are things that we that we love, and yet you call us to to love you. And yet at times, we're if we're honest, we have we have love that is is placed on other things. And so, Jesus, this morning, you. Lord, you, you know what's best for us, that you, would, that you would invite us to come to you to receive from you so that our hearts would be transformed, so that we would love you more than we would love money, so that we would love our neighbor more than we would love ourselves. And Jesus, that gap might feel just so impossible at times in the Christian life. And Father, every time we feel the impossibility of that gap, might we, with the hope of the gospel, turn to you to see how that gap has been bridged by you and that you've made it possible. And so there's hope for us. However stuck we might feel, however, however much we might be caught up in our own guilt and shame, however much we might have just white-knuckling our checkbooks, that it is possible by your power that we would have a changed heart so that we would love you and that we would love our neighbor through the generosity of our finances. And so, Jesus, thank you that you offer that grace to us, real grace that really changes us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.